Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, before I like to make a tribute to this show, before we get to mm-hmm. guys, the medical staff at Trinity Hospital in Trinity, Florida, for recuperation, a fast recuperation for me, and great service to guys. I'd like to welcome our legends. Now is down in sunny Sarasota, Mr. Don Henderson, 
Mr. Roger Hanner in the Great City of Philadelphia, and Mr. Roy Cummings, of course, spinning the dials as usual. Mr. Frank Carroll, gentlemen, good evening, and it's good to be back on the air after the week I had. Good to hear you, Tommy. Good to hear you. Yes, it is, and I'll tell you, we've got got a great sports night to talk about tonight. Roy, I'd like to ask you a question at the top. Uh, You've been associated with the print media for such a long period of time, covering the Lightning and, of course, you know, covering – the Rays as well. And, and one of the disappointing things to me, uh, because they go to press the world, uh, and these games end so late, uh, I would like to have seen a detailed story about why Kevin Cash made that decision uh, to take his pitcher out when he was pitching so well. But you got to either catch it on the computer somewhere or you got to wait till tomorrow when they cover yesterday's game. And, uh, you know, maybe you have a clearer idea you're right there in Tampa, and so I'm certainly not, uh, what the explanation was as to why he ran out so quickly and made that decision after the base hit by Barnes. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's not the easiest explanation to, to swallow for uh, people who uh, disagreed with the move, and I'm certainly among that group. Um, his thinking was that uh, – you know, he liked the matchup of Nick Anderson against Mookie Betts, number one. Uh, he thought that uh, he had gotten everything he was going to get pretty much out of uh, uh, out of Blake Snell. And uh, the bottom line, really, is that this is how they've treated Blake Snell throughout the course of the season, uh, ever since he, he started the year with a bit of a um, uh, an injury. And they, they really limited him in terms of uh, – use and he, he seldom have ever got past the sixth inning uh never in fact never did uh seldom have ever got you know through through five innings and uh so they certainly weren't going to test that um uh, his endurance in that situation he this is where i disagree the most with kevin cash first of all i disagree with the theory that uh you know that, that blake snell wasn't in command i, I thought he clearly was I would have left him in for that reason alone. But uh, to me, the, the biggest issue here is you brought in, you had a lefty on the mound, and if you're looking at analytics, and the Rays are big on analytics, but they miss the analytics on this because Mookie Betts has struggled more against lefties than he has against righties right. uh, this right. year. He, he, and, and look, it's Mookie Betts. I think he's the best player in baseball right now. So it, it's a bit of a toss-up there. The, the, the difference isn't that great. You know, he hits about 375 against left righties and probably about 314 against lefties. But uh, uh, still, you take every advantage you can in a situation like that. Uh, but his thinking was, this is how we've done it all year. Uh, it's worked for us. This is what got us here. We're not changing up now. And, um, again, that's a, that's a tough one to swallow because it clearly uh, it blew up on him, and, and that's unfortunate for the race, clearly. Tommy, I, I can agree with there, Roy. But but you got to give, you know, this is a footnote to the story. But before I had to go in the hospital for my heart down, I was going to tell this for the show. I mean, the Tampa Bay media does not get as usual. Here's a great matchup. Here it is: Andrew Friedman versus his boss Stuart Sternberg, and, and Matt Silverman too. I don't know if they did something about that. I've been a great, I've been a great, great piece up there. Here it is: a student. Outfoxing the teacher, and Andrew Friedman did it with uh, Jerry Hunsiger and his control. And and when he went to Los Angeles, I said, "Oh boy, 
And I don't know the media down here is not cracked up what it used to be, but would that be a great great match? It'd be a great Martin Finley story, or you know, or Gary Shelton or or Mizell story. That'd be a great or Henderson story. That'd be a great great story to get. See what they're thinking is of facing each other. Well, you know what, Tony? That's a great point you made. A yeah. tremendous point on two on two fronts. First of all. The media is not what it was in Tampa Bay um, in 2008. Uh, it's been the, the two major newspapers that were here are down to one. Um, and uh, we don't, you know, we certainly don't have the, uh, the coverage that we used to have. Uh, Don, you pointed it out as well that um, I, I can tell you now, if uh, no matter what time that game ended, uh, the Tampa Tribune, had it been around, would have had uh, the results in the paper, for the, at least the Tampa yep. Reef. that might not have had them out there in Pasco County. Um, which is north of Tampa and out in Polk County. But I can promise you this, it would have been in Hillsborough County, it would have been in Tampa. That's right. Um, but, Tommy, the point you're making about uh, the story that you would have liked to have seen, and, look, I, I didn't um, – my guess is that MLB.com and maybe ESPN.com wrote those uh, articles. Uh, I, I hope they did. Maybe the Athletic did. I don't know um, about that matchup. But you know what was on display last night, guys? In fact, throughout this whole World Series was Tampa Bay Rays baseball was on display because yeah. yes, Andrew exactly. Friedman may now be with the Dodgers, but mm-hmm. he built the first world series team. We'll and, 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 and here we go. And now this group uh, with Kevin Cash and uh, uh, Matt Neander and, and, and the rest, uh, they built the second team and exactly. Rays baseball is different than any other baseball in, in the major leagues. It's done differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, teams like the Pirates and Royals, uh, the Astros used to, uh, the Oakland Athletics for sure, uh, do it a little bit differently. Um, but nobody does it like the Rays. No one no. consistently plays with uh, the lowest payroll and mm-hmm. innovates the way the Rays do. And what was interesting is a Rays innovation, uh, the, the opener, is what, it ended, what ended up beating them. That's not what ended up beating them, but, I mean, that's, that's what the Dodgers used. In their right. uh, in their deciding game last night was another raise innovation. Uh, there are a lot of raise innovations in the game today. Uh, the shift mm-hmm. that whether you like it or not, that's a raise innovation. The opener is a raise innovation. Um, I don't I don't think they can take credit for being uh, for changing up and having your best hitter hit second instead of third, but uh, they can certainly take credit for having uh, you know just about anybody, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. your best power hitter or not, batting fourth. Um, and because that's something they do because they don't have power hitters and, or very right. few of them. So what you saw on display here throughout this World Series was Tampa Rays baseball. Uh, it's a different form. It's a different brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, and it changes all the time. You don't know from one year to the next, are they going to be a base-stealing right. team, a power-hitting team? Are they going right. to be a pitching? They're always going to be pitching in defense, but how are they going to score their runs? That's uh, And how are they going to defend? That's That's where they change things up, and to be honest with you guys, I'm anxious to see what the next innovation is. I, I hope it's about going to pitchers a little bit longer, but I doubt it. The other story that they they completely missed was there's only one person that was on that field or even in baseball at this point in time that went not only to the Little League World Series, went to the College World Series, and then ends up managing – the world, a team in the World Series. Um, they completely missed that story. But Kevin Cash uh, went to, no. to Williamsport uh, as a young man, went to the college uh, 
uh, World Series at, at Florida State as, back, as the captain of the t- Florida State team, and then came here and put this team together, and now he, he was uh, up again. Um, and probably because of last night, will not get the uh, Manager of the Year award. Well, actually, I think I think he could still get. He'll still get the manager of the year, I believe, because I believe those votes are in. Right. That doesn't have anything to do with postseason. And nothing to do yeah. with postseason. It's only doing the regular season. Yeah, mm-hmm. but no, it's a good point, Frank. And and I'll say this: if you watched, you know, every inning and, and paid very close attention, uh, you got that story because it was if you you could piece it together because uh, Joe Buck and John Smoltz did mention. Uh, that uh, Kevin Cash was in the Little League World Series and now in this World Series, they missed in that explanation that he also was in the College Baseball World Series. Um, but uh, you're right. They yeah, and they had, that, they had snapshots. They had snapshots of him in all in all the uh, each one of those yeah. events you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did mention it one other time, but but that was in a different game and a different broadcast. So you kind of had to piece it all together. But you're right. That's that's another. A tremendous accomplishment, and how many people can say that? I mean, talk about uh, uh, and, and I mean, that, to me, that just speaks to Kevin Cash and and who right. he's become as a, as a baseball person. He's been in every level, World Series of every level, uh, excelled at every level. Uh, you know, at least uh, and and uh, you know what? <laughs> again, good for him because he's a great story. And again, it's another great Rays story that uh, he's in charge. Look, he's he's gonna. This is gonna be his legacy right now. If he gets another chance, and gosh, I hope he does for his sake and the Rays' sake, um, that would be wonderful. But uh, for a long time or until that happens, this will be his legacy. He's the guy who pulled uh, Blake Snell, no matter what happened, you know, whether Blake Snell was going to get uh, Mookie Betts out or end that inning or whatever, uh, this will be his legacy. It's, uh, it wouldn't have been such a, a stain uh, if, if Blake Snell had not gotten Mookie Betts out. But uh, – Pulling him and, and having it blow up on you—that's that—that—that's uh, going to live with him for a while. Roger, well, guys, it, it, I was just—I was just going to say that uh, it's exactly what I was going to say, Roy. That I've thought about this from the time he pulled him. That uh, this is what people are going to remember about Kevin Cash in the World Series. Okay, I—I I agree with you. Never, ever should have pulled him. Okay, and when you look at some of the other statistics of, of the uh, the home runs that he's given up and everything, there was no, I thought it was just absolutely the wrong move, and uh, you could see what the conversation was in the dugout. But also, Joe Buck and John Schmoltz were also very critical of him, and that's not really the norm when you are uh, doing a national broadcast in the World Series. Or you know, the uh, a big game, the Super Bowl, or the uh, seventh game in the Stanley Cup. You know, usually they're you know going to go along with it. But they, I thought they were very critical of him, and I'm a big fan of his. I said that before. I think he's he's done a great job, and he's a better manager than Joe Madden, especially with this team. I agree with you, Roger. Uh, he he, I'm a big fan of of, of him his as well. And um, you know, I, I I knew Kevin Cash when he was with the with the Red Sox organization in the minor leagues in, in Winter Haven, in the Florida State League, and uh, and so I I remember you know him from that moment, and uh, I'm a big fan of his, and uh, and I'll say this, uh, yeah, there are certain times when you can't help but you have to 
you got you got to voice your opinion. Um, and and I, look, that was one of those moments where everybody wants to know what every analyst or baseball player uh, thinks. Um, and I'll say this: I you know when it happened, I immediately picked up my phone and went to Twitter to see what uh, some of the baseball players that uh, you know tweet regularly were saying. Guys like Trevor Plouffe and uh, uh, and Bauer, you know, some of those guys, just to see what was being said. And, um, you know, I was, I was, and, and I think universally, I mean, I think it was, you know, it, it, it's probably a thousand to one uh, were certainly critical of the decision and thinking it was the wrong call. And uh, it's easier to say that obviously when, uh, when things don't work out the way you, you hope they will. Uh, but I think we could all see that that was, it was unlikely that was going to work out well. Uh, you just got to, sometimes you just got to stick with your best guy. And, and last night, Look, the Rays have been waiting for Blake Snell to pitch like the Blake Snell of 2019 uh, right. all year, and he did it in the most in the biggest moment. And here's the other thing: when Blake Snell got the contract that he has now, you know, Blake Snell said, "I want to be the guy pitching in the big games, uh, and I want to be the one that they count on in the big games." And what the contract that they gave him said, "You're that guy. You're going to be the one." And they put him out there, and they didn't let him finish the job. There are certain, sometimes when you're pitching at, at the level he was last night, you got to let that guy finish the job. And uh, I, I won't be surprised if Blake's, if uh, I'm sorry, Blake, if um, if Kevin Cash at some point in the off season. And this is look like, like the Lightning losing to the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, mm-hmm. all kinds of things like this. This is gonna this is gonna be the question that's asked, and this is gonna hang over this franchise's head until they get back to the World Series and win it. Um, it's going to. Uh, they, this is going to be a hard one to erase, but I think at some point Kevin Cash will probably come out and say, yeah, I probably screwed that up. Let me throw two uh, Roy, two more I, points out at you, Roy, before we go to football, because uh, you know the Buccaneers are a big story right now, too, and getting bigger with the signing of Brown. But uh, two points I'd like all you guys to comment on, and uh, Roger, you brought it up. I, I was very disappointed that they had the camera on a close face-up uh, when he came out of the ball game, because uh, it was obvious what he said, and uh, yeah. I, I was a little dis- I was disappointed in that. And number two, I would bring up: uh, you talk about Manny Machado and his three hundred million dollars. You talk about Harper with the Phillies with his three hundred thirty million dollars. But the difference is that when you're talking about the Dodgers, they sign a player for three hundred million dollars in a long period, of time, but he's got players around them. He's got a team. Yeah. Harper, he can't even make the playoffs. It's not Harper's fault. But, I mean, why sign a guy like that when you don't have any of the other tools to win? Doesn't make sense. Absolutely. I was just uh, are you talking about signing? The follow-up, are, you talk, are you talking about signing? I, yeah, who, I just wanted, who, to, uh, I ahead, wanted to follow up with Roy, okay, for a second. Okay, Don? You know, Roy, a perfect analogy of what you just said about the uh, that game last night is the Falcons against the sea uh, uh, or against uh, New England when they had that Super Bowl one and they lost. And this is going to stay with that franchise forever. Yeah, it is, and uh, it doesn't help that uh, they're in a season where they can't hold on to a lead. I mean, even last week, tighter game. Um, but, uh, you know, now, now Raheem Morris has been bit by that bug as, as the coach here. So, 
Uh, it is becoming uh, this current edition of the Falcons, uh, this generation of Falcons teams. It's, it's their legacy. They, they can't do that. Yeah, I didn't want to um, get the football, but I just wanted to use the yeah. analogy that you have memories. Okay, right. each franchise yeah. has a memory. Roger, I'll give you another one. I'll give I'll give you another one, Roger. Penn State. Penn State last week against Indiana. Did you see that? Yeah. What they did? Yeah, I saw it. That'll live You're with right. them. That'll live with that coach forever. Ever. You're exactly right, Don. It's the signature well, you know, moment. Hey, you know what? Going back to baseball real quick, guys. I mean, what was what was. Uh, uh, talk about legacies. What was uh, Clayton Kershaw's legacy until this week? His legacy yeah. was couldn't win the big game, couldn't win in the World Series, couldn't win in the playoffs. He went into uh, this this the World Series, I think, three and one in the playoffs this year. But that was still what everybody talked about. And uh, they've right. pro- now, they've protected him, Roy. They've they've protected him. He, as soon as he saw he was starting to get in some trouble in the fifth inning, he pulled him out of the game. I mean, you know, he, he didn't give him a chance to, uh, you know, to blow a game in the sixth or seventh inning. He pulled him right out when he felt he had gone as far as he was going to go. Well, that's, to me, that's smart managing. Uh, you know, know how far a guy can go. And uh, if he's, you know, look, he's also the guy. Let's not forget this. Yeah, he may have had some trouble in the playoffs, but he's the guy who got him there. Okay, oh, yeah. they don't get there without him. Uh, is he their best pitcher anymore? No, um, but he's still at the at the uh, top of the staff. He's still a one on that uh, on that pitching staff on that uh, and that starter in the group of starters. And uh, but my point is that he had a legacy based on his inability to get enough guys out in the playoffs. And uh, and now, just now, you can start seeing that thing erased. It's like. You can erase something off a piece of paper, but sometimes, you know, uh, a shadow's left behind. That shadow's still there, always will be. But he's finally had a chance to erase that. He probably needs another World Series in order to erase it completely. But that's what happens in sports, guys. It's a, there's a legacy. I mean, almost anything in any walk of life, really, uh, you have a legacy. We see it more in sports and politics and things like that because, you know, that's what we pay attention to. But um, that's, uh, that, that is the legacy. Hey, real quick uh, – Don, go back. When you mentioned about Machado and and um, uh, Harper and getting the big contracts and and you know they need teams around them, you were saying you know why sign a guy to that kind of guy? Who are you, who, who were you were you talking about Blake Snell or, or or somebody else? Well, my feeling is that uh, you know you pay a lot of money to somebody uh, like what and I I liked your analysis about being maybe not the best player in Major League Baseball right now, but if he's not, he's close to it because he's the combination of Lou Brock and and uh, Roberto Clemente. I mean he he everything. he does everything. He he fields, he runs, he hits. There are very few players. Jackie Robinson. I mean those are the kind of guys you talk about when you talk about bets. Yeah, you know, it was. An, I'll tell you, well, you're right, and and you know what, it is a good question. I sometimes wonder. Look, a lot of it is that's the going rate. Um, you know, baseball teams are given. You know, in essence, they uh, they pay what they can pay to players based on the money they bring in. Uh, the Rays don't bring in as much as the Dodgers, so the Rays have a seventy million dollar payroll. The Rogers have Dodgers have a two hundred twenty million dollar payroll. Um, you know, we talked about it two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. 
uh, as the Rays kept moving on. Um, the, when the Rays beat the Yankees, it's like the $70 million payroll could beat the $220 million payroll consistently. The Cubs didn't make it this far. Again, uh, these teams have pay, spent $200 million. How many of them are getting uh, to, the, uh, to the World Series? How many of them are winning it? Uh, not very many. Uh, it, it suggests that, you know, your money's better spent in other places. But this is the going rate for the best players. And, you know, I will say this. You had a matchup last night. You had a situation last night where the guy that they gave $300-plus million to was, on, was up at bat in a game situation with a chance to win the game for the team that gave him the $300 million. And this is exactly why they spent the money. Is it worth $300 million? Right now to the Dodgers it is because they got their World Series. That's what they brought them in for. Absolutely, because they haven't won it since 1932 years. They haven't won it. We've got to cut it right off there because Mike Jensen is standing by, and we're going to switch topics. Once again, Roy, thank you very, very much. Great talking baseball. We never did get the, the Buccaneers. We'll have to wait for next week on that one. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Roy. Thanks Roy. Have a great week. Always. Thank you. Take care, guys. Thank Mike Jensen standing by uh, uh, from the Philadelphia Inquirer, a great columnist, great newspaper man, and uh, so many things to talk about with Mike. It was a big basketball. We're a lot of basketball news right now in the last couple of days. But last week I apologized at the top of we had Larry Litwood on with us. Uh, there are a lot of people outside the uh, media area that we're talking about in Philadelphia uh, across the country that are listening aren't going to know who Jackie Shore uh, is or was. And, uh, Mike, you wrote a terrific, terrific column uh, about somebody that uh, in Philadelphia is known within the media and known within the the sports media itself, but not necessarily known by the general public, and yet he's an icon. Yeah, uh, Don, for for a number of reasons. Number one, guys who worked for the Associated Press for 40 years, you know, they're not known necessarily to the greater public, uh, like – I know the name Cummings in, in Tampa, uh, but people in Tampa aren't going to know the name Jack Shore. And even people in Philadelphia, they don't know that they're reading something from Jack Shore necessarily. But this guy, he's pretty sure he saw more Philadelphia college basketball games than anybody. Not just wrote about them, but saw more than any. Uh, he was a guy, when, he, when Jack died, he was 88 years old uh, and was still sitting next to me at big five basketball games at, at, at Temple, at the Palestra, at Penn. Uh, and he also had this other thing going. Uh, everyone called him the leading scorer in the history of the Palestra because he ran a pickup game for 40 years at the Palestra, Wednesday noontime game. And he was, uh, he was the leading scorer in, in, in the building. Uh, and he was respected to the point that one time Fran Dunphy walked out with his team for practice at the Palestra when he was coaching Penn, saw Jack and his pickup game. He forgot, and he went to the smaller court to, to, to go practice with Penn. That's the respect that Jack had it there you in go. Philadelphia. Wow. Well, that says it all. Yeah, I was going to say, Mike, that says it all. I mean, there's no doubt, and we, we talked about him having the key to the Palestra, packing, uh, parking uh, be at the back of the uh, of the building, you know, and the guard uh, not knowing him and everything, things like that. But it was a great, and I call it a tribute, that you wrote to Jack. And, of course, we all were close to him because of being in this, a Philadelphia sports writer. 
But uh, that was a tremendous uh, tribute, and uh, and he was an icon, always will be. And uh, you know, the question I have now is, you know, the uh, uh, you're you're involved in it. You see the changes. Do you think that we'll ever see anybody like that in the future? I mean, we used to have Bob Vitrone gone, Jack gone, uh, and a number of others, uh, but. Do you ever think that uh, in the future something like this could be repeated? Well, I mean, I put it this way. There, there'll never be another Jack. Like uh, Bob no. Ford, great columnist for our paper, said to me the day he died, he said, it's a hole that can't be filled. He was one of those kind of guys. Now, Dick Hoops Weiss still shows up at the Blaster, and he's been showing up at the Blaster for 40 years. Mel Greenberg on the women's side is still showing up yeah. after after 40 years. So. You know, everybody sort of has their own thing. Uh, so can there be another Jack? No. But can there be other iconic figures? There always will be. And, Mike, the uh, one thing about it, uh, the pleasure, of course, has gone through so many uh, different uh, variations over the years. Like one of the great, great basketball facilities in the country. Actually, the same uh, architect built uh, the pleasure that uh, did the uh, down at Duke, when you talk about uh, the Camden, or the Camden, the uh, Duke facility, same architect, same building, but a, a lot smaller. And uh, but Jack, he was the Plester. I mean, he was basketball. He was the Big Five. Certainly, it, uh, it was a little bit different now because the teams don't play all their games there. Maybe people listening around the country, maybe you would explain what the transition was when we all went to see basketball at the Plester. And we had double headers, and they were a big five teams playing one another. Yeah, there was another era, and I, I've been at the Inquirer for over 32 years now, and this was before my time. So we're really going back, right? And, and when I knew you at Temple, Temple wasn't playing there yet when you were the play-by-play man for Temple. Temple had moved beyond, basically uh, back in the heyday, 50s, 60s, 70s, into the 80s. All five Philadelphia Division One teams, except Drexel was the sixth, but the big five, they all played all their home games in this one building, the Palestra. And in addition, there's still more NCAA tournament games that have been played in the Palestra than any place else still, and they haven't played one there in 30 years. Uh, so they used to have all that going on, too, back in the time. So, you know, when you're talking 8,400 people, you can sort of picture it. And sometimes we in Philadelphia glorify it, I can remember North Carolina came in to play Penn, and people were asking, what do you think of the Plester? Uh, Tyler Hansborough at that point was playing for North Carolina. He's like, it sort of reminds me of high school, he said. You know, so it's a different – and honestly, the best atmosphere the building has now is when the Catholic League of Philadelphia, which has all sorts of great players, uh, it's, if it's not the best high school league in America, it's in the top two. You know, Washington might claim one, and maybe they're, they're right. But all this talent, and they have the semifinals and finals at the Palestra, and the building just rocks. And that's where both fan bases are there, because that was the thing about the old old days is half the building was one school, half the building was the other school. And right. they, they went at each other. So, you know, you lose that, and they still have some of those games. You know, LaSalle will bring some games into the Palestra, Temple will come in as the visiting team. Villanova will come in as the visiting team. Uh, St. Joe's will have some home games there, and Penn has all their home games there. Uh, but it, it's, it is, uh, you know, something. 
kind of unique. And it's also the architecture of the place with the trellises overhead. You know, it's a special place when it's empty. And then when it's full, you know, it's just rocking. Mike, also, also you talked about, uh, you know, uh, down at, the, at Duke and North Carolina and, of course, the ACC. Uh, still one of the biggest stories in Philly when Chuck Daly took Penn down and, and knocked off North Carolina. Uh, one of the biggest surprises in college basketball at the time. Yeah, all, all the big five schools have had their day. Uh, you know, I mean, Penn, 1979, made the Final Four. In addition to those early 70s teams, Dick Harder and Chuck Daly having their, their great moments. LaSalle, you know, people still tell me, you know, in, in 1969, 1970, LaSalle, best Big Five team ever. Uh, and, and the competition for that now, the more recent Villanova national champions, uh, St. Joe's absolutely, you know, Martelli getting our final eight and missing the final four by a basket and having the great Jack Ramsey as, as their coach earlier than Jim Lynham. So, I mean, that's part of the tradition. By the way, it used to be sort of a wheel where they would take turns at, in the front now. That ended when the Big East started. You know, they're now the other four are, are going for scraps. Uh, you know, Villanova's won national champions chips they 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 all their games are just about all their games are nationally televised so that's a different part of the the big five too in right. villanova and and the other four right frank you were a part of yeah. philadelphia at the time maybe you'd like to uh, throw in a question here mike jensen our guest one of the great columnists from the philadelphia Inquirer for so many years uh, been writing basketball for a number of years and uh, probably knows more about basketball in the philadelphia area than anybody Frank, uh, you jump in. Yeah, uh, the um, he's a little little later than than I was up there, but uh, um, the uh, the the great teams that you talk about the St. Joe's teams. I'm talking about Billy Oaks and uh, Steve Court and uh, uh, Tommy Gallia from uh, from uh, Villanova. Um, some of the the great players that went down there um, and played at the Palestra. That was it was a, the hottest place in the world to go with the crowd there, mm-hmm. the loudest place in the world to go, but boy, nobody ever wanted not to go there. Right. It's, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, Sometimes it's, when they say, oh, they're not the amenities, no one cares. You're going there to see a basketball right. game, and you're going there for right. the atmosphere, and you're going there to be part of it. And yeah, Cameron Indoor is that that atmosphere, Butler, Hinkle Fieldhouse, that kind of atmosphere, that's the that's kind of the company that that it keeps. Hey, Mike, Mike, there was a question. Back, uh, I'm a little the, older than you. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, there, there was a question about um, uh, Jay Wright's health um, in this last uh, within this last month. Um, is that still a question in Philadelphia? Jay Wright's health. Yeah. First, they talked about With the possibility COVID of him having COVID. Yeah, Villanova, they said they had three COVID cases. Jay has not said that he was one of those cases. Okay. Well, well, I think, Frank, you're you're talking about, you're, you're, Frank, you're talking about him selling his, selling his home and buying a a new home. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that's uh, my question. Yeah, no, this was something that came up on Yahoo, as a matter of fact, Yahoo Sports. Uh, about uh, three weeks ago uh, in the early morning. Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you whether 
Jay was one of those cases himself. They did shut down their practice, uh, and, and he said they had they had three cases within their program. Like I said, I, you know, I haven't seen anything that Jay said he himself had it, but nor did he say who had it within there. I mean, let's face it, you know, COVID, it's going all around. I mean, Wisconsin's not playing a football game this weekend, and their head coach said he was one of the cases. They have over a dozen cases within their football program. So there's no – there's no shock when it hits any of these places, especially on these college campuses where all the students are back. Sure. Roger, you well, want to get a last like shot in? Yeah, I, I want to say a couple things. Okay. Uh, Mike, uh, I, I wanted to follow up about that. Uh, I can tell you now, my son, daughter-in-law, and their two boys all have the virus. Okay. And, yeah. and the only one that doesn't have it is my granddaughter. So it goes any place, any time. The other qu- right. uh, question I wanted to say was, because I'm a lot older than you, and I was there, 1958, Haverford High School won the state championship. I guess think it was against Uniontown, Brian General Evich, who went to Penn, or uh, Pitt. But they used that in those days, they used to have the high school championship at the Palestra. And, you know, then they moved it out to uh, Harrisburg. But getting back to Jay Wright, the one thing I don't understand is that uh, he got a smaller house nearer the campus, quote-unquote. However, wasn't he living in Bryn Mawr before that, which is pretty close to the campus? I didn't understand that explanation, to be honest. No, and, and honestly, I think people, I, I don't know, it's, 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 it's possible over everything. He wasn't in Bryn Mawr. I think he was at, actually west of the campus, so still close. But let me put it this way. I just moved two miles. Three, my three kids are out of the house, uh, so we, we, we moved two miles away to a different place. So there it would be as simple as that, because literally his three kids are out of the house, and, and, right. and now maybe one is still in college. The other two are definitely out of college. Um, so a lot of people were looking at that, you know, does it mean something for, is he moving on from Villanova, you know, that sort of thing when he was selling his house. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I – I, I, I wasn't trying to read too much into that. Mike, I, I have to say the same thing, and Roger knows as well as does Frank. Uh, I, you know, I lived at the shore for 44 years, and uh, I'll, I'll be 87 this year. And uh, so, I, uh, you know, my family, my, my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids all uh, had, to, had the opportunity to enjoy the shore, but they're all grown now, and, and they're gone. And uh, I did the same thing you're talking about. I moved five miles away. I'm still close enough to the beach, but uh, I just didn't have any use for a house like that anymore. And I think yeah, but everybody they, they downsizes at a you. certain time. Your kids moved closer to you, Don. Well, well, some of them did. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> well, let's get back to let's let's get back to let's get back to Mike for a minute because there was a story that was in today's paper or yesterday's paper. I'd like you to elaborate a little bit on. ESPN is really concerned about all these Christmas store tournaments. Uh, they've decided, I guess, that uh, a lot of the Christmas tournaments are going to be canceled. What What is the situation with the big five teams? And maybe explain exactly what we're talking about, Mike, about the big five teams because they're all so close together. Maybe you'll explain that first and then answer the question, are we going to have college basketball and when will it start? Yeah, well, I'll start with that last one. And I've answered every question since March with 
who knows, right? I mean, we, 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 we don't know. Is it, is it going to get a lot worse and it's going to run through these campuses and, and they're not going to be able to play? We don't know that. But uh, you're right. ESPN was going to have a lot of uh, these tournaments in Orlando, and they've, they've canceled all those. The protocols weren't working. They decided they weren't going to do it. It wasn't going to be like the NBA. So everybody's scrambling. Uh, the Philadelphia schools, uh, just today, uh, LaSalle actually – no, excuse me, uh, St. Joe's is, is going to play in Fort Myers, down, down not too far from you, obviously, uh, with a big-time tournament – the competition is Kansas, Auburn, Gonzaga, uh, and, and St. Joe's is the fourth school down there uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, so, every, you know, things are just popping up. Everyone's just – I think the, the phrase – everyone's just nimble. Uh, so Villanova is going – Mohegan Sun's having a lot up in Connecticut. The casino there has shown they can do – they've had a bunch of MMA-type events, and they can do a bubble – so Villanova is starting their season there against, uh, let me think, Baylor, uh, Boston College, and I, I'm, I'm blanking on, on who the fourth school is, but uh, they're, they're playing there. And then Temple's coming in right after them and playing there. And I think one of the other Philadelphia schools, maybe Drexel, is coming in right after them. So everyone's trying to figure out these little things. Honestly, my opinion is, they would be best off just to play conference play, forget about this non-conference stuff and all this travel, just get their conference games in, even if you had to play, you know, three conference games against each other instead of two to get a full season in and, and then try to get, get to the NCAA tournament. Because, it, you know, it's going to be a long, cold winter. Mm. Mm. Tommy, you've been very quiet here. Uh, jump in, Tommy. Oh no! I was just going to say that. You know, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on the show. The greatest game I ever saw in Big Five history is back in 1963, Villanova St. Joe. And remember the poster guys? You, you know, I was a fan then. There was two-dollar seats and the three-dollar seats got you closer to the floor up there and the sidelines. But I remember Steve Donches made that shot over Billy Melchioni in St. Joe won that game 61. 71-69, greatest game I ever saw in the, in, in the Palestra. Then I'm down here in Tampa and, you know, you know, South Florida, you go to a game there. It's not like the, the, the area of the Big Five. I remember another game I, I attended there, and there was, it was Xavier of Ohio playing St. Joe and Villanova and also Penn were playing the City Series game. And the Xavier coach had to call a timeout. He said, why, why are you going to call a timeout? I can't play. This place is too noisy. I was very impressed, but I really enjoy your work with the Inquirer. I'm living down here in the Tampa Bay area, and, and you know, I, I miss the big five. St. Joe and how met Mr. Don Henderson was. We're at an NCAA tournament in, at, at the forum now called the Arena down here. And I said, hey, Don, the Hawk will never die. And ever since that day, we had a conversation, became great friends. <laughs> We're saying that. That's great. You remember that? Well, I'll tell you, I, I, again, before we wrap it all up, I, I just want to just uh, touch a little bit for the national audience, and that is that, you know, these five schools, people don't, and we throw Drexel in as well, and Drexel's become much more uh, of an item than they had been for a number of years. But, uh, you know, these five schools are all in very, very close proximity. And normally, 
I won't say every year, but normally three of the teams get into the into the tournament, which is unheard right. of. I mean, you, you talk about you mm-hmm. could be in the Big Ten, and and you don't get three you don't get three teams sometimes. And I mean, it's hard to believe that these five schools in this close proximity can put three teams in a tournament year after year after year, Mike. Yeah, there's no question. And I mean, when you were when you were the play-by-play guy for Temple, obviously, you know you were you were you were talking about a Hall of Famer there and John Chaney uh, coaching the team the entire time. Uh, you know, and each of these schools had that level of Hall of Famer. You know, uh, at, at different times, so uh, it, it is something special. You guys were Philadelphia area natives. I was a you know, just showed up to, to start doing the job in 1988 and, and, and sort of stumbled into the whole thing, and uh, you know, which is a, a pretty good deal for me. Where did you grow up, Mike? Uh, I, I okay. grew up mostly uh, outside New York, Peekskill, New York. I was born outside Boston up in Gloucester, and then uh, my family moved to New York, and uh, and I, I grew up around New York, and then uh, – Ended up in ended up in Philly. I always say my kids are from yeah. Philly. Yeah. Oh, Mike, thank you so very, very much for being. Stop, wait, stop, hold on, fellas. We got to. We got to. Let me ask. I just want to ask you a quick question. Did any of your kids uh, follow you into journalism, Mike? No, no, they're smarter than me. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Mike, I, listen, thank you so very, very Mike, much. And you do a great job. I'll tell you. Great. We love to we love to read your material and 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 it's great to talk with you and thank you for spending so much time with us and just chatting about Jackie Shore and man. about Big Five. Oh, you bet! Uh, great memories, even hearing your voice, Don. Oh. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Take care, Continued man. Success. Take care. Bill Matthews is up next, and uh, boy, what a night to have Bill on after what happened in the World Series last night. For those folks listening around the country, Bill is the official scorer at the Trop. He, uh, he covers all the, the Tampa Bay games and, of course, uh, is an official scorer there. So he sees every day, every every play. And uh, uh, first of all, uh, Bill, Bill, some of your observations before we break down on who was right or who was wrong last night. What did you think of the series? I thought it was a great series in a lot of ways. Um, I I think the Rays showed what kind of a team they are when they had seven guys in the lineup hitting below 190 and they were still staying with the most expensive lineup in baseball. Um, I I think that shows what kind of of an organization it is. Uh, They play solid defense. They make plays when they have to. Uh, They usually throw strikes when they need to. Um, I thought it was a great series. Uh, Naturally, I was a little disappointed in the outcome, but to be honest with you, I wasn't surprised by the way it occurred. Um, Mm -hmm. I've watched the Rays now since 2008 as their official score. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know how many games that is, but it's a lot. Um, And and I, I, I know the system. I know the script. I've seen them follow the script. The thing that had me confounded last night was four games during the playoffs, they had allowed pitchers to go a third time through the lineup, at least two, three, or four batters. But last night, with a career appearance going on for Snell, they didn't allow that to happen. Mm. Um, I don't second guess. 
I mean, I, I'm a, I've been a, a head coach in college for 28 years. I get second-guessed for a living. Now I'm an official scorer. I get second-guessed by millionaires for a living. Um, <laughs> being second-guessed, is, 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 so I, I don't pass it on. Um, but, but I just I, I wonder, I, I'm trying to figure out why. Um, even even watching uh, Brian Kenny on MLB Network today, who is the consummate guy who cracks on scores, he's all about analytics, he's all about sabermetrics. Even he threw his hands up today and said, "I don't understand." And that made me say, "Wow, wow, that's pretty that's pretty interesting." That the guy who has the microphone is going to throw his hands up and say, "Explain to me how this happened." You know, being a college coach, we don't have the advanced technology sabermetrics that a Vanderbilt has, or, you know, we're a small division too. We go on spray charts, old school spray charts with red being a fly ball, green being a ground ball, dotted lines, a foul ball. I mean, we were just using spray charts. So we, we work with tendencies. These guys are using saber, uh, I'm sorry, analytics. And the interesting thing about analytics, if you look at, at, at Snell's numbers, the batting average goes up 15 points the third time through the lineup. It brings it up to about 312, 313. But what that means is a batter is going to have a 31% chance of reaching base. That means Snell is going to have a 69% chance of getting him out. And Snell having a career night, having 1, 2, 3 go 0 for 6 with 6 Ks, why not stay with him? Why make the change? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes the numbers, we can skew numbers. We can make numbers say what they want. But last night, I mean, I was actually yelling at my TV. I don't do that very often, you know. <laughs> the Lightning won the Stanley Cup. I was yelling at my TV. Last night, a pitcher gets pulled out of the game, and I'm yelling at my TV again. I'm like, what are you doing? My phone, my phone was vibrating across the coffee table. It was blowing up. So, so I, I had people from everywhere saying, what is he doing? Why is he doing it? Why what is going on? <laughs> yeah, I, and, and, you know, I can't explain it. But they are committed to the system. They have an analytics coach. In the dugout, he's in uniform, he's there every game, and he's the guy who's making the interpretations of the numbers and giving the feedback to the coaching staff. And then the coaching staff, they've got the right to refute or edit, but I would say, you know, probably 85 to 90% of the time, they're going to go with, boom, what it says in numbers. <clears throat> it's a fascinating process, and they're committed to it, and I can't question what they've done. Look at where they are with the money they spend, you you gotta you gotta admit that part of that has to be analytics. It has to be because they have no right being where they are with the money that they're spending on payroll. Roger. Yeah, well, I agree with you, Bill. I mean, I I can't uh, tell you that I know anybody that's more impressed with the Rays than I am. I mean, and I I love the team. I love everything about it, the organization, and what they've accomplished. But I gotta tell you. I cannot figure out what uh, what Cash was, why he did it. And I think that I mentioned it earlier, the, when uh, Joe Buck and John Schmaltz start questioning during a, a, a national, international broadcast, I mean, yep. uh, I think that says something. Well, when, when, when Schmaltz last night, when, when he said, look at, the, look at the Dodgers dugout, every single hitter is smiling and saying thank you right now. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> because you're bringing in you're bringing in a guy who had a great season, but 
Well, Bill, one one thing, and and uh, you know, I think the analytics. I I agree there. They've they've taken over the game. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I think they've. I overemphasize they've taken over the game. I think they've taken a sure. lot away from the game. I don't think it's nearly as much fun as it used to be. I don't think it's as entertaining. This was a wonderful World Series to watch if you're a baseball fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game, game four, may have been one of the most exciting games from start to finish. In, in World Series history, you'd have to go back to the, Crazy. you know, the Dodger, yep. the Dodger game with the pinch hit home run and and uh, yep. you know the games of that of that nature. But uh, the ratings aren't any good. The ratings were terrible, and and, yeah. and I think re- one of the reasons the ratings are terrible, the people don't enjoy this game. And they and the I other agree. thing is, they hit too many home runs. I mean, well, you you tell me that every that every one of these home runs from a left-handed batter at the left center field. I mean, come on! There's got to be something wrong here. Uh, and and uh, how about to a 40% me, increase in strikeouts in the last decade? Forty percent increase in strikeouts in the last decade. That's it, an even I just larger think it takes away. Team. It takes away from the game. I mean, you, sure. uh, look how exciting! Look how exciting it was to see. And we talked about it in the first half hour. When you look at Betsy, you say, "Hey, look! This is a guy." It's Willie Mays. This is a guy that's Lou Brock. This is a guy. He can do anything. He's a great fielder. He's a great base runner. He's a great, you know, why in the world your first baseman, and it was two different occasions, why you'd ever try to throw him out at the plate, especially in, in the first case when Diaz was going to his right and had to throw the ball back toward home plate, and you're going to take you're going to take bets out instead of taking the out? Crazy. You're not going to do that. <laughs> But that, hey, unfortunately, yeah, those are the kind of plays that were great and we're not seeing it anymore. Don, hmm. look at the commercials they had to promote youth baseball. All home runs for uh, kids to play in home the derby oh, yeah. next year. Yep. But yep. you know what they need home to run. do? They need to start these games earlier so kids can watch them and they're not finished at 12 o'clock at night. They need to start them earlier so we can watch them. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right, Bill. Uh, home run, you got to have home runs. You got to have home run derbies for twelve year, eleven and twelve year olds. Come on. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I've seen it. It's it's the craziest thing. You you know they set up a snow fence, and kids walk up there with double wristbands, eye black sunglasses. Mm-hmm. They walk up there looking like they just won the like like they're Aaron Judge, hitting at a snow <laughs> fence that's about fifteen feet behind the back edge of the infield. Hey, Bill, I got a, Bill, a question for you, yeah. Tommy G here. I got a question for you. Well, Bill, you just talked about 25 years of coaching in college. What's it like? <laughs> what are these kids? What, what is it? What's the difference between 15 and 20 years ago when you when you were coaching the kids coming out of high school, good players, uh, solid players, and, and what's going on now? Well, it's it's. I, I can summarize it in one sentence. I don't care what your hitting coach said. This is the way we're going to do it. I don't. Right. I don't teach. I don't teach loft angle. I teach getting to the ball and through the ball. I've never had a team in 28 years as a head coach. Never had a team hit below 300. A team hit below 300. So what we're doing? Sure, we're doing it with aluminum bats. Okay, I, I, I'll admit that's a definite advantage. But we don't. We will hit home runs. Sure, but you need base runners. Solo home runs do not win baseball games unless you give up four or five of them. Then, 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 then you're going to lose the game. But, but I, I just uh, 
I stress the fact that if we get on base, I'll let you run. You can run. I, you got the green light. Everybody on my team had the green light. I never gave a steal sign. I had the green, they, but you got to get on base. You get on base, I'll give you the perk of stealing whenever you want. We led the country in stolen right. bases four times, but you got to mm. earn it. And that's kind of what I did. I hang that carrot out there saying, okay, you get on base, great. You don't run super, I'll backslap you. I'll give you a little mm-hmm. butt slap. I'll say, hey, nice job. But hitting a home run and hitting 210, that's not going to help me in a 50-game schedule. You hit a home run and you hit 330, now, now, now we got something we can work with. You know, it's, it's, right. it's become an individual game <clears throat> at the higher level because money makes big, long balls. Guys get paid right. to hit home runs. They don't get hit to be. They don't get paid to get to be singles hitters. They get paid to be the big dog. And it's uh, mm-hmm. you know it's just it's a change. I don't think it's going to last. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't think it's going to last. I mean, look look at Brandon Lau, twenty six million dollar contract. Everybody's like, wow, what are you doing? What? A... Well, Brandon Lau's a great hitter, but Brandon Lau got so in his own head trying to hit home runs that it ruined his postseason. He went three for thirty six. Three home runs. Those are the only hits he had. He couldn't. Mm. He couldn't hit a beach ball the last two games they played. Never mind a baseball. But it's it, it's Back. changing the game. And guys, guys are realizing. Hey, you know, there's some guys who can do it. Aaron Judge, Stanton. Um, those guys can do it. But you can't. You can't name me five other guys right now off the top of your head, who when they step up to the plate, you think, Wow, this guy could hit a home run. Arozarena, lights out, but he's not a home run hitter. He's going to be a great player, but he's going to be an all-around player. He's going to be uh, uh, a Granderson kind of player. That, 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 that's who I would compare him to. He's going to run the bases. He's going to play defense. He's going to throw people out. He's going to hit a few home runs, and he's going to hit over 300. He's going to be the next Curtis Granderson. Wow. You know, you know Bill, I'm a big fan of uh, Alec Bohm, you know, the Phillies, the rookie. Yep. And yep. Um, I, I guess they haven't announced the rookie of the year yet, but he was probably in the top three. But he's exactly what you just said. He hits home runs, but he doesn't try to hit home runs. You know, right. he hits the ball to the field where it's pitched. And, right. and that's why I think that he's going to be such a great player. Yep. I agree. I agree. Tommy, Tommy, did you have a question? Right. Well, you, yeah, you got two say? brothers. You got two brothers that are pretty good. One the shortstop for the Dodgers, and his brother's the shortstop out in what Seattle or four, I think Seattle. I think is where his brother is. And one, uh, uh, one, I think the one and his brother went went to uh, North Carolina. I believe I'm not sure about right. that. But anyways, right. what, he won the most valuable player award last night, and he certainly deserved it because mm-hmm. just what we're talking about. It was interesting to watch. Yeah, he hit a home run. But he did everything else. He he, was, he did a great job in the field. He ran the bases. He, he, he hit the ball all fields. I mean, that's the kind of player people want to see, I think. And he's, he's the anomaly. Tell me another player, who another shortstop at the big league level who hits as well as he does. He's the exception to oh. the rule. Shortstops don't hit anymore. And I'm not comparing him to Adamas. Adamas is awful right now at the plate. But Adamas has got a plus arm. But Seegers is the anomaly. He's the guy who can do it all right now with power at shortstop. And that isn't – we haven't seen a shortstop like him since A-Rod. And before that, it was, it was Ripken. That, that's how much space has been between guys who can play like that. Frank, how about you? You got your oil in the water here, Frank? Yes, sir. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm still um, a little confused on, on the, let's see, two games ago. You had a runner on, gets to first base. He steals second. Um, and then he goes for third. And from from what I could see, uh, he was still on the bag when they tagged him, but uh, they called him out. Um, what would your call be on that one? Well, here's – see, we don't we – don't, we don't, deal with out and safe, but, but here's, I'll, I'll identify the problem. The problem is replay. It's changed the way infielders tag. It used to be the sweep tag. You know, you go back to the days of, of Campanaris right. and Concepcion, they'd catch and sweep and they'd sell it. They'd, they'd look at the umpire's sweep tag and then they'd throw the ball around the infield. The umpire would just say, okay, he's out. But now, because of replay, they put the glove down and they leave it down. Take a guy on the hip, take a guy on the hamstring, you leave the glove there. Because when he slides over the bag with his hands, his chest is going to pick his waist up, and his waist is going to have a little gap between, his, between the body and the bag. And if you keep the glove on him, the camera is going to pick that up. And that's exactly what happened. There was about an inch and a half gap for about six inches of the guy's body with the glove laying on, his, on the back of his leg. And that six and a half inch gap, which was well after he hit the bag with his hands, cost him. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. That's the problem with replay. Hey, Bill, I've got a question for you, right? Yeah. We, yes. we talked off, off air. Um, I, I was absolutely floored, uh, the fact that uh, you weren't uh, the, the official scorer for the for the. For the oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, we got terrible. cut off at the end of the regular season. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, don't, I don't have a reason other than they went with the guys who were local, the uh, – the American League pool guys were the Angels, Dodgers, and Padres scorers, and the National League pool guys were the Astros and Rangers scorers. They allowed the scores to be in the stadium in person, but they had a, a, a restricted area that they had to travel through to go up to the press box. But it's like I said to, to my boss at Major League Baseball, I said, you know, my whole life, when I when I go to a dance, I, I, I always I always leave with the girl that I brought to the dance, and I feel like mm-hmm. you know that's not happening right now, you know. Right. Um, right. He said, "Well, you know, I know you'd fly out there in a heartbeat, but we're trying to keep it." I said, "You know, but uh, where's where's the equity in that? You know, I mean, I've been with this right. team for twelve, thirteen years, and it's been twelve years. I started the year the last time they went to the World Series, and now they're back going to the World Series, and I don't get to be a part of it." Well, you know, baseball socialist. There's no question about that. Everybody's going to get the same piece of pie. But it, you know, that hurt. Bill, that was that was hard. Bill, it was hard for me sure. to understand how and why they made that decision. Bill, I was a little disappointed in the, in the broadcast because they when we we talked about the game and I I mentioned at the top of our our interview tonight. I mean, neither one of those plays. Did you have more than a 50 – well, the, the first one, the ground ball to first base with Betts coming home, you right. had less than a 15% chance of getting him. The second oh time, you may, yep. you may have had right. a 15%, but that's the best you could have gotten. Right. And they never mentioned the fact, why in the world would you take a chance with Betts coming in from, from third base that you're going you're gonna to get him out in a situation like that? And nobody yeah. ever mentioned why. Take the out. Get the out. Yeah. Well, well, how about how about the play that ended game four, the crazy play? You know, the outfielder makes an error. They they originally scored it 
um, just E8. Then they rescored the play E8, E2. Well, the only way I'm going to give a catcher an error on a throw coming from a cutoff guy in, in, in the position that, that they were in right, right there, he was trying to make the catch while the glove was moving, sweeping to try to tag a runner that wasn't there because he didn't know a Rosarina had fallen down. So he's trying to right. pick and sweep all the way around, turn 180, and make a tag at the plate. The only way I can give a catcher an error is if I know he's going to catch the ball, he's going to control the ball, and he's going to tag the runner. None of those three things are going to occur on that play. So, but they scored at E8, E2. And I immediately texted the guys at, at, at Elias, and I said, hey, you know, I disagree. You can't give the error. That, that error's got to be on the first baseman. You can't give the error on the catcher because the catcher, number one, he's got a slim chance of catching it. Number two, he's got to turn 180 to try to put the tag on. And number three, he's got to control the ball. None of those things are happening. How can you give him an error? And he, and he, and he also has his back to the runner. He doesn't know where he is. He, right. he had no idea that the runner had fallen down. No idea. Right, exactly. So, anyway, I didn't get a vote. So, I just I, I was a fan. I was sitting home, pissed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, Phil, I got one quick question for you, right? So, just to yeah, get in the program. Good to hear your voice, man. Oh, thank you. Good to hear you again, Bill. It, it was so funny, right? Because I don't know the Tampa Bay Press brought this up in St. Pete, the, the paper down there, right? The whole, a, a, a functional key of that whole series was Andrew Friedman going up against his old boss, Sue Sternberg, mm-hmm. and Matt Silverman. And that, that's, mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody brought that up or not. That's, we brought the first part of the show. I mean, that's one of you. <laughs> so we're very side, but people want to find out in Tampa Bay how Andrew doing out in Los Angeles, you know, like if, and how Sternberg, what he thinks about going up against him. Because these guys were stockbrokers in New York a couple of, several years ago. Yes, they were. They were, they were working at the same Goldman Sachs firm that, that Sternberg owns. Yeah. And they're friends. And well, I'll, I'll tell you, Andrew Friedman is an, is an absolute 100% class act. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Um, when, he, when he came to the Rays, he was an intern. And we had an inter-office softball league. And my son, Zach, and I played on one of the teams. And, and – uh, Friedman played with us, and I had no idea who Friedman was. I didn't know they were bringing him in to be the GA oh, wow. or the GM. I thought he was just an intern. So we played the whole season, had a great time. You know, from oh, that day forward, and this was, I don't know, 15 years ago, every time he sees Zach, gives him a hug, gives him a high five. When the Dodgers oh, came nice. to the drop, he sat on the tractor, he talked to Zach. I mean, he's a 100% class act. And you know the difference between him then and him now? He's got the money to show how smart he really is. Right, exactly. But wasn't he's a great judge of talent? Too. He's a great judge of character, um, and now he's got the money to show it. He can he can buy guys. I mean, Mookie Betts is the nicest guy in baseball. Now you don't say that about too many guys who are paid what he's paid. Most of those guys, mm. uh, you know, there's a little question about their character or their attitude. Or mm. Mookie Betts, man. I mean, he's the kind of guy you let date your daughter. You know, right, Bill. You know the one yeah. thing is he, he looked like he enjoyed every minute that he was on the field, even when he's in the yeah. dugout. He, yeah. he enjoyed yeah, he being there. You, you gotta love a guy like that that says, "Hey, yeah. this is where I, this is where my home. I love this game," and that's what he yeah. does. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. 
and, exactly. and you know Mr. the Ray shortstop is is like that as well. He's he's a, you know been, he's he's a he's a cheerleader. He's a supporter. He's he's everything you want in a young player. But the thing about Betts is Betts has been around for a while. He's been around the block a few times, and he's still like that. The game hasn't ruined him. The game hasn't taken his love and his enthusiasm away yet. It's fascinating to watch him. Yes. Yep. Now, now you guys. Well, you know, know, I, we, we talked, talked about Bill, about and I, I. I would ask you one question, and I, I think one of the great managers of baseball right now, even though he's getting up in age, and we got to see him a lot down here during spring training. Buck Showalter. Buck, I don't think oh, Buck will yeah. ever get a job again. I, I, he'll he'll never succumb to, to to all these analytics. He he won't do it. And so yeah, I, I don't think he'll ever become a manager again uh, because of that. Not only his age, but just the fact that he will agree with what they're going to tell him to do. Well, I watched a lot of MLB Network because I, I, I never watched it when I was scoring because I didn't want to be influenced. I, I wanted to remain completely objective. Since I wasn't scoring, I was watching MLB Network every day. And if you watched his interviews, he'd have 10, 15, 20 minutes a day. He would just be laughing at guys saying, oh, yeah, is that what the numbers tell you? Well, let me tell you what my gut tells me. <laughs> you know, he was, he was just being very honest. He was being very candid. He was saying, okay, that's what your numbers say. Well, let, let's, let's take this into consideration. You know what he did last night? You know where he was last night? You know, time to get back to the hotel? Oh, the numbers don't talk about that, do they? <laughs> so, no, they don't. <laughs> now that and that you know now that doesn't happen because everybody was in a bubble. I don't know. You guys want to get into the whole COVID thing with Turner, but that's going to be an expensive mistake for somebody. Whether it's an expensive mistake for the Dodgers and Turner, or just Turner, but I think they should find them an astronomical amount of money for the fact that he came out, took the mask off. Party celebrated, hugged. You can't do that in today's day and age. And I say that I'm tainted a little bit because I'm, I'm involved with the NCAA, and we're getting tested, and it's costing us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you, you can't, you just can't do that right now, you know. And I understand it's the World Series, and it, but leave a mask on. If, if you're going to come out, and you're going to break the rules. Leave a mask on. Major League Baseball security asked, "Should we take him down? Should we take him down?" And the word came back, no, that's going to be bad optics. Could you imagine MLB security taking Justin Turner down on the field during the celebration? Wow. <laughs> Roger, we have one last question. Mike is standing by. And, and uh, if you want the last question for Bill, and, and we'll move yeah. over and change, change the subject. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, Bill, the, uh, what was your uh, final uh, thoughts about the 60-game season, uh, how the playoffs were conducted. We know about, we've talked enough about the World Series. But I'd like to have your opinion about that 60-game series and the extended playoffs. Yeah, I, 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 think it was, I think it was a marvelous move to resurrect the love of baseball in a short window. I think it, it could have worked out to be something that would have been really, really instrumental in the development of the game in the next two or three years, and, and, and it still may. I mean, they, they, it, was, it was a short, succinct season, but guys got to show what they could do. Um, the playoffs, I think the expanded playoffs are great. I think 16 is too many. I think they've got to go back to maybe 12, but I think the extended playoffs is a great idea. 
Um, whatever you can do to get baseball in the eyes and minds of the public, um, I, I think it was a great save. I think it was a great save. I'm sorry it was tainted by the whole COVID thing at the last possible second. Um, that just kills me that that happened to the game of baseball because I love the game so much. But at the same time, I think it was a great move on the part of baseball to make 60 games happen and to make the playoffs more attractive by having more teams involved. Well, Bill, thank you very, very much. As always, we'll get you Thanks on a so bunch much, of times between now and, the, and spring training. Thanks, but I tell you, we learn something. We learn something every time you join us. Thank you very much. Every, every time. time. Thanks, All right, guys, every have time. a great night. Talk you to you guys, Bill. You're the best. We appreciate it so Be much. Be safe. Thanks, guys. You do Absolutely. Well, let's switch over. Mike is all set to go, and uh, uh, normally we talk a little bit of everything with Mike because he's got uh, the Washington football, he's got hockey, he's got the – but I want to ask her about Barcelona because a major announcement today, uh, Mike, maybe you give us a, an idea of what that really means in soccer. Well, uh, I believe we're talking about uh, Joseph Bartolomeo stepping down as president of Barcelona Football Club which was announced today. Um, yeah, but he's also taking the team out of the league. Well, he wants to. He's behind the – it's two things going on. One, he's stepping down. Two, there has been talk – and this comes up, I would say, once every five or ten years, this idea of a European Super League where they pull all the top 20 teams from the best leagues in Europe, the biggest names – Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Manchester United, Liverpool, um, maybe even an Ajax, and they create this European Super League. And it is, it's an idea that's been floating around for as long as I can remember. And it comes up every once in a while. Um, and given the COVID crisis, it's been one that's been coming up a lot more because the wealthiest teams are being – are, are struggling. They're, they're, they're struggling. They're not making as much money as they want to, but they're being asked to uh, pay out even more to support lower league teams. So they're already taking a massive hit. Um, Manchester United lost something over a hundred million pounds in the last in the quarter uh, after COVID hit. So uh, quarter number three, I believe, of last year, they're reporting losses of over a hundred million pounds, which is massive for them. Uh, the same with Barcelona and Real Madrid. So COVID hit these, these teams hard. You know, it's like a six million pound loss every time Manchester United plays a home game with no fans. So they're looking for ways to maximize their revenue. And he, it was came about in part because there was a talk that the uh, Premier League in England was going to give more power to the top six teams. Well, that idea got struck down. So all of a sudden we have these rumors again of this European Super League coming around. But uh, Bartolomeu's word is basically garbage, right? He was about to get voted out as president anyway after this summer with the uh, saga involving Lionel Messi and whether or not they were going to let him leave, whether or not he had a contract, he had expressed his desire to leave. And then Bartolomeo basically told probably one of the five or six biggest players in the history of that club, no, you're going to stay and play this year. 
And if you don't like it, we'll take you to court and we'll sue you, and you're going to play. So you're, and you'll lose your money. So your options are you can either play for us or you won't play at all. And that left a really sour taste in his mouth. It left a really bad feeling amongst the clubs. Uh, fans, there was a recall vote amongst the stakeholders in the club. He was going to lose. He was going to lose the uh, upcoming presidential election in January anyway. So he stepped down, and as a parting shot, he put this out here that he supports taking them out. He wants to pull them out and put them in a different league. But the chances of it happening, I would say anytime soon, although they're probably better than they've ever been, I don't really believe that it's something that we're going to see in the next two or three years. Roger, uh, jump in. I just wanted to have that Barcelona story just hit me today as a, as a major story and. Uh, so I thought we'd start off with that one, but uh, go in any direction you want to, Roger. Go to it. While we're waiting for Roger, uh, Mike, there was a fantastic uh, game at uh, Chester uh, uh, this week. Um, can, you, mm-hmm. can you expand on that? Yeah, uh, Philadelphia Union beat uh, – the Toronto uh, Toronto FC, a five nothing. Sergio Santos had a hat trick in the game. I think it surprised everybody, including himself. Uh, the scoreline, the play, everything. Um, Toronto was the top team in MLS, and now by virtue of their win, the Union are sitting atop the league. They're tied on points at 41 with Toronto, but they have a much better goal. Toronto's goal differential is eight. The Union are sitting on 22. So there's no way that uh, Toronto will overcome that. If the un- so the Union's uh, fortunes are in their own hands, so to speak. Uh, they're playing tonight. They're tied 1-1 with Chicago at home at halftime in a game that they should probably win. Uh, they're missing a couple of key players, and they announced a couple of hours ago that they had a positive COVID test amongst one of their players, but they didn't say who. But uh, if they win tonight, they go into this Sunday's game, which is probably their biggest game left, way at Columbus. If they win their last three, they'll be the Supporter Shield champions, which is the trophy awarded to the team with the best record in MLS during the regular season. And that comes with a cash prize, home field advantage throughout the uh, MLS Cup playoffs, including the uh, championship game, and a berth in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League next year, which is also uh, a little bit of extra money. So there's a lot at stake for the union right now. You know, they, they have a chance to not only win a trophy, but uh, a home field advantage in the playoffs and uh, a little bit of extra money, which uh, a financial windfall, which would be great for their bottom line. Considering and again, it'd be, the impact, it'd, it'd be great for Philadelphia too. <laughs> they they certainly have come uh, in the last two years. They certainly turned that franchise around. And uh, See, let's, let's go down. Let's go to Tommy because uh, he had said very much here. Tom, go ahead. Hmm. That's okay, Mike. Welcome aboard, sir. What's what's the talk down here about uh, the Washington Football Club right now? That division so so awful. And the Eagles are winning by. By two, four, and one, and Washington tied with Dallas. It's a, a god ugly division. Your thoughts, but what's the key for the Skins and for victory this Sunday? Hello. 
Did we lose uh, Mike? Somehow. Yeah, we lost Mike. Oh, it's getting back. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, yeah, so we'll hold it together until Mike gets you. I, you know, we uh, we yeah. try to jump around. This only explains this over our listeners. Okay. We try to jump around with Mike because he's down oh, in the uh, in the Washington area and he covers you know, the under. Capitals. He covers the uh, uh, Washington as well. So as well as the soccer, which well, he really covers uh, top to bottom. Mike is back back with us. Yes, yeah, I, I don't no. know what happened. One minute you were there, and then one minute y'all weren't. Oh no! <laughs> so, Mike, let me let me I ask you this question, Mike. When is when is Washington going to get a name? <laughs> they bailed out again this year. Well, I I I I don't know. Um, I think <laughs> that there's some more going on behind the scenes than uh, we necessarily get. I've talked to you before about like the disagreements in the front office between uh, Dan Snyder and the minority owners and the desire of the minority owners to sell and Dan's unwillingness to make things necessarily easy on them. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some mechanizations behind the scenes where he's reluctant to put a name on a team because, you know, it's already hard enough to sell a 40% share of a team because who wants to own 40% of something? You have no voting stake. You have no say. You've got Dan Snyder as a partner. And I think it's another part of it is, hey, look, it's even harder to sell 40% of a team that doesn't actually have an aim. So if there's any way that he can make it harder on his business partners, he's going to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the case, but I, I, mean, I am saying that, like, I wouldn't at all be surprised if his reluctance to settle on a name, they put up some different stuff on their, their website, inviting fans to vote on names, uh, suggesting uh, stuff about investigating and going through and doing their due diligence. Uh, I think. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end, by the beginning of next season, they have announced a name and they'll go through this season with the Washington football team. And then next season, you know, when the New Jersey's come out, there'll be a big thing about the Washington Redskins and, and, and rebranding the franchise and a big announcement. So I imagine that they're going to go along going by the Washington football team. That's not bad. <laughs> not bad. At least they're, but it's a good thing about that. At least you got. <clears throat> At least you got the University of Maryland playing some. How's Maryland playing good football at all, do you think? Or? Uh, well, considering that the Big Ten just started, I really hadn't caught what was going on mm-hmm. with Maryland as far as college football. Uh, you know, it's a basketball school, so they, they, they've struggled. Quite. They had a great start to the season last year, but they kind of struggled once, the, uh, once they got in the conference play. I, I, I suspect that this year will be a bit of the same for them as they get to a truncated uh, Big Ten schedule. Hey, Mike, uh, there's a, a text just came out from Jerry Jones to uh, uh, Dan Snyder uh, about Sunday's game uh, and the fact that he spent over uh, $5 million to only get three points. Uh, is there any, um, any chance that you could uh, – uh, chip in to uh, help uh, poor Jerry? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's start a GoFundMe page. I know that he spent a bunch of money flying the team up for, for, for to kick a field goal. <laughs> and uh, 
And apparently to forget that once their quarterback gets knocked out, that they might want to, you know, say something. Well, Eagles are winning that division. Thank God for that guy. Well, he had a big, he had a big press conference and he had a big dispute with one of the radio people down in uh, in Dallas yesterday. Uh, and then he apologized for his call. I think what did he say? The guy was nuts or something. I forget exactly what his terminology was, but uh, he uh, he apologized afterward. And uh, but who would have expected McCarthy would come in and inherit this kind of all club and. Uh, but he did once again emphasize that, uh, you know, McCarthy's job is not on the line. He's not going to make any changes. Uh, this administrative thing, not just uh, Jerry Jones as general manager, but everybody within the organization, and they're going to hold forth. But I'll tell you, they are really struggling right now, fellas. Oh, they're, they're, they're in a lot. It, it wasn't even the nature of, you know, the dispute between – Mike McCarthy and hearing from the players that they don't think the system's working, they lacked any sort of fight on Sunday against the Washington football team. And again, when John Bostic went over, knocked uh, knocked Andy Dalton out. You know, yes, it was a dirty, it was a bad hit. Um, and I understand he got ejected. And you know, it, it was quick play. Uh, but the fact that you saw nobody on the Cowboys sideline even make a motion to help Andy Dalton up, let alone say something to John Bostic about the hit, tells you that this team like lacks fight. They 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 kind of seem to have given up after Dak Prescott went down, and it was almost as if you know we know that Dak Prescott went down. There goes our season. We're going to make business decisions now. You saw, uh, you saw uh, Zeke Elliott absolutely get blown up by the Redskins in, in, in pass coverage. It was just bad all the way around for, for the Cowboys. And, and if Mike McCarthy wants to have any future in the NFL beyond with the, the uh, Cowboys, he's going to need to get something out of that team uh, in the last nine games. For, for an Eagle fan, I hope they don't. <laughs> I love yeah, can we do it after this week's game, though? Oh, okay, we'll do it after this week's game. Okay, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll you know, you, you can have a good one against, like, the Giants or when you play the Redskins again. Like, you know, I would prefer to see the same team that played last Sunday. Well, the Bucks get a shot at the Giants this weekend, and, or actually a Monday night game, but uh, uh, which should be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the Bucks are playing so well, and, of course, Antonio Brown is back in the league, but boys, he started practicing today. And oh. uh, what do you what do you think about that? Tom Brady has managed to out Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick. Ooh, you know, Bill Belichick famous for I'm going to get rid of you one or two years before you start to decline. Tom Brady looked around and said, "There's not anything that I can do or you can do to make this team competitive. I'm going to take my talents. I'm going to go down to Tampa Bay." I'm going to get mm-hmm. a group of guys around me because they have money to spend, and I'm going to put together a winner. And you look at where Tampa Bay is right now, and you contrast them to the state that New England is in. And you've got to say, like, Tom Brady came out the winner in this one. Yes, no, no doubt yeah, about that. I, I watched that game on Sunday. I couldn't believe it was the same team that uh, that has been been playing the last couple of years because they played so flawlessly. Uh, this last week, 
um, it's it was a pleasure to watch him. He's got him under what direction? I mean, it was uh, you're you're right, Frank. I mean, we watched every minute of the game, and and uh, you know Brady just seems to have everything under control. Uh, they're kidding him a lot about the four when he put it up a couple of weeks ago, and uh, but I'll tell you, other than that, he hasn't made very many mistakes since he's been here in Tampa. Mm-hmm. No, the other thing I, I really appreciate is, is oh, there you are. The other thing I, I really appreciate is the fact that uh, Bruce told him, "No screwing around. One time, you're out." That's um, good. That, yeah, that's the only way. That's the only way you can operate with. You know, you you have to do sure. that. Uh, he's had so many chances, and now he's getting one. Mm-hmm. From all accounts, Brady Brady really went to bat for him. He wanted him here, and of course, he lost a, a, a wide a wide out today. What uh, a broken finger, I think it was. And so he will be he'll be down for a little bit, I think. But uh, so, and he started to practice today. I don't know how quickly he's going to be able to get into uh, a game. Whether he's that old, able to be this Monday night or not. But uh, uh, Brady Brady knows what he needs, and this is a player he thinks can help him. I think there's a well. He's, he's proven a lot of things, Don, too. Uh, you know, about all the skeptics. Was it Belichick? Was it uh, Brady? And I think he's out to prove a lot of things. Well, this well, is his legacy right now. And if he can come and take this team to the, to the Super Bowl or even to the playoffs to the NFC Championship game, and have a good season at 41 years old, I think we now know, like, Brady was as good as advertised. I never will say that you can fully separate one from the other, but, you know, you can give a lot of credit to Brady and elevate him in that conversation, the greatest of all time, if he's able to have another good run with the Bucks this year. And don't forget, he got Very Grunt true. to come right back, too. Grunt came after sitting out a year saying he wasn't going to play anymore, he wasn't going to play anymore. Well, he's playing. And I'll tell you, he's playing darn well. I, you know, you would think he skipped a year. No, he's playing great football out there. And that's well, the that, that, that's, what I, that's what I said, Don, that he's got Gronk now, and Gronk uh, seems to be uh, really determined to uh, prove something, too, after being out a year. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the Buc- the Buccaneer defense is nicer playing up to par right now. They're playing better than usual, but who knows? Any given Sunday, who knows what the Giants can do on Monday night. <laughs> we don't know. But the main thing is uh, they're playing good. They're playing good right now. I think this, the way they're playing good, guys, look at this aspect. The way they're playing good, look what the Lightning did. They won the Stanley Cup. Look what, look what the Rays said. Hey, we're not going to be upstaged by the Lightning. We're going to try to win, win our own series. And here the Bucs, if they get in the Super Bowl, where is the Super Bowl going to be held at, guys? Here's the equation. Tampa, Florida. And they didn't the NFL just announce today that they're going to allow fans at the Super Bowl. It'll be, it, it won't be many. It'll be like 20%, but they'll still have fans and stands at the Super Bowl. Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I'll the, the, say it, Mike. Uh, uh, they, there's a lot of fans, like, in some of the stadiums now. Uh, look at Dallas. They they I don't know how many they allow. Probably twenty thousand or more because it beats over a hundred. Uh, Philadelphia at seventy five hundred, and that includes the teams and anybody else, support personnel. That's total number in the stadium. 
there are fans down in Chester tonight as I'm watching the game. They've got a couple of fans. Not many, but they're, 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 they're definitely fans in the stands. Socially distanced appropriately, but they're there. Well, Mike, oh, Doug man, Hamilton is standing by for our next segment. I was just going to say, give us a score on that game before you jump out. The Union just so. scored uh, right as we were talking. Uh, I think it was Corey Burke who hadn't played a game for the Union in 18 months. Corey uh, Burke, you're right, Mike. Uh, some visa What's issues the... and a whole bunch of stuff that went on that precluded him from playing in uh, – so this is his first game for the Union in 18 months, and he comes in and gets a goal that puts him ahead. And this could be a really what's big goal. Score? Is a header. Two what's one, two what's one the score? On two one. Two, okay. Over Chicago. Okay. Um, Mike, thank you very I'm, much. I'm, we'll do I'm, it again next week. I really appreciate it. You'll have all yep, the answers for us next week. 17, Mike. Thanks for telling me. I'm watching it now. There are a lot of fans there in the stands. That's good. Yes. Yep. Hey, Mike, before you Hopefully go, let's have a plug for your new show. Yeah, we're uh, starting up a new show, the Too Many Guys Soccer Show. Apparently, just two guys wasn't enough. So we'll be on Mondays at 8.30. You can download us on Ringer 2, number 2, Many Guys Soccer Show. A uh, lot of fun. And what, is, what is it on 8, 8.30 to 10, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I, I heard I'll let you guys know the information. It was great. It was yeah, great. We have I a lot of fun. It. We have a lot of fun. I'll catch up with you guys next week. Thanks, okay. Mike. Okay. Here, Mike. Mike. Thank you very much. Doug Hamilton, our resident pro. Uh, yeah. we, the, the golf scene is going to take a little bit of a setback this week. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, looking up to uh, the Masters, uh, not many of the big players are going to play this weekend. But uh, yeah, a lot of golf talk, a lot of things happening. But before we get to the golf talk, uh, I always like to talk to you about the Ravens and what, yeah. what do we say about the Ravens? Well, we've got the uh, we had a bye week to hopefully uh you know, get some things square uh from a playbook standpoint and, and get some guys healthy. But uh most importantly this is a very big week. We've got uh Steelers Ravens. Um, you know, one of the best rivalries in, in, in all of the NFL and, and seemingly sports to some degree. So um, you know, big week. We got six and oh Pittsburgh and five and one Baltimore and uh you know, it's it's uh, rough and tumble, and and uh, you know, it's I look forward to, to this football game. Uh, you know, it's it's a great week. Um, you know, in terms of the rivalry and, and what it means, and um, you know, like I said, the only good thing comes out of Pittsburgh is an empty bus. That's right. <laughs> but the one good thing is that you said Ravens had the week off, and I, I always mm-hmm. think that's a big advantage going in. Uh, uh, they, they, you know, they were home. They were sitting there and, and got mm-hmm. the practice in. They needed to go, and uh, I, I, yeah. I think uh, I don't know what the spread is. I didn't see the spread, but I would have to think the Ravens uh, got a little bit of an edge as far as the odds are concerned. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a betting man, I mean, these games, uh, first of all, being a rivalry game and inter, you know, interdivision, uh, are always close. Um, you know, I would have to say that thus far the the Steelers have played better football this year, um, but um, you know we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I mean, I know that Coach Harbaugh's had an awful lot of success uh, coming off of a bye in terms of his history and, and some of the wins he's had. So, you know, um, we'll see what happens. But it's uh, the additions of um, 
that guy that Ravens just got in Gakwe uh, on their defensive line uh, via trade should, should hopefully uh, propel some pass rush for them and uh, allow their secondary to make some plays. And, and we'll see if Lamar Jackson can shake off some of the risks that he's accumulated thus far this season and, and uh, throw the football better, and maybe they can get the running game going. I don't know. Pittsburgh's got an awfully good defense. Um, you know, and Ben Roethlisberger's just as tough as they come. And, um, you know, it's it's always a great matchup. Roger? Well, I was just going to say, Doug, uh, the, what do you think the uh, Masters is going to be like uh, being mm-hmm. in uh, November, you know, versus in April? Well, um, you know, again, I, I think uh, from a weather standpoint, um, you could really get much of anything in terms of, of temperature, but, uh, um, you know, mild, a milder climate in the South and Georgia is, uh, you know, an ideal situation to, to play something this late in the season. Um, so we'll, we'll see, um, as we get closer, what, what some of those forecasts are, um, you know, but, uh, the golf course should be in immaculate shape as it always is. And it should have, um, you know, obviously, uh, a, a top field of, of individuals and, and be very highly competitive. So um, it'll be good. It'll be good. Uh, good sport TV to watch. And um, again, you know, we've got uh, no basketball, no hockey, no baseball. Uh, so we've got, you know, some limitations on college football. We've got uh, some good NFL football games. If, if individuals are, uh, are watching that. And, um, you know, that sets the stage for, uh, culmination of the Masters in, in November here in a couple of weeks, and um, it's exciting. So, yeah. Doug, we talked a couple of, a little bit last weekend about uh, the grass, and, and uh, mm-hmm. it's amazing to me uh, the way these players are able to adjust. Like, they'll be in Bermuda. They're going to be out in mm-hmm. Las Vegas for two weeks. Uh, then yeah. they're going to be having – and then all of a sudden they're at the Masters. I mean uh, – right. It, there's got to be there's got to be some type of something internal that you can make that kind of adjustment of that type of grass and that type of condition so quickly after just a couple of days practice. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know most of these guys play a full tournament schedule where they they're used to uh, the transitional phases of you know west coast to the south to the midwest to the northeast and um, you know the the PGA does a very good job of. Uh, trying to find them warm climates and, you know, keeping that schedule rolling throughout the season. So, I mean, they've, most of these guys are, you know, not, not first timers in terms of the tour itself. So they've made some of these trips and, and are used to, um, you know, not, not just saying wherever they're originally from, um, you know, these guys play golf for a living and, you know, it's what they do. They, they travel and they, they get their practice rounds in. And, you know, the good news is most of them hit it pretty daggone straight. So they're going to find, you know, a lot of the fairways, um, as, as we know, the U S open is one of the tougher venues with deeper and more penal situations when you miss those fairways. So, you know, these guys are precise with their ball striking. They're, they're strong guys and, and getting it out of the, the rough on most occasions isn't incredibly difficult. I mean, what, what separates these guys, uh, most of the time is, is their prowess on the putting green and their ability to make some of these putts. And you'll see these guys that, you know, win tournaments or, 
uh, knocking down flag sticks or making lots of putts and saving strokes in and around those greens. So, I mean, they're just, they're just so good that, you know, that, that transition, um, although we look at it, uh, from an amateur, you know, from an amateur standpoint is difficult. That's what they do. You know what I mean? So, you know, the transition isn't quite as difficult as it would be. Tommy, Doug, what's your tip of the week for, I guess, the Northern golfers right now is the, is the roof mm-hmm. coming down, fortunately. What, what would you tell the golfers to do? Just play around the golf or just go get some, you know, non-compression golf balls and still play? Yeah. We, um, I mean, the, most of the time, I mean, it's um, almost November here, and we've we've had incredibly moderate temperatures, and, and uh, you know, we're still seeing, um, you know, lots and lots of play uh, on a daily basis from, you know, everybody that's still either at home or, working from home or not working or, you know, students on break or all these sorts of things. So um, I know the forecast here for the next uh, few days is for some rain and some cooler weather to come in. And obviously we, we lose some daylight um, in terms of the clocks, you know, falling backwards and it's probably going to get dark at five, five thirty. So, you know, that coupled with uh, some cooler temperatures in the morning, we're going to start getting lots of frost delays and, um, you know, most of the people want to play golf somewhere between, you know, say 11 and one when it's likely to be the, the warmest temperatures and they can still get their rounds in. So, you know, this is, uh, one of the proverbial shoulder months that we talk about in the game where you can still, uh, get some practice time in and, and, uh, kind of coast through this portion of time before you, you know, either put your clubs away or, or start maybe your off season training program with, um, you know, weight room or flexibility or strength training, those sorts of things. And, you know, lots of our members will relocate at some point to their uh, winter homes uh, or maybe guys will take their, their golf trips throughout the winter time to, you know, stay in the game, if you will. So, you know, it's, you know, a- any sport that you play, you can't just stop playing and then start when it's season time again. And obviously if we have any, you know, youngsters that are listening to us, I mean, just because it's basketball season doesn't mean you can't shoot, shoot hoops when it's not. So, you know, as good as you want to be, you can you can practice and work on your game. And, I mean, whether you have a basement that has carpet that you can putt on or whether you can, um, you know, do something in a weight room or, or simple just stretching exercises for 10 or 15 minutes every night. I mean, it's different things that we can do in the off season that make us, you know, prepared for the, the season itself. And, you know, this is a great time, as I mentioned, to – uh, take inventory of, of what you have from a club standpoint. Maybe it's maybe it's time for a new set of irons or a new driver or new wedges. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to, you know, get that wellness checkup with your doctor or see a chiropractor or hire a trainer or do something that you've not necessarily done before to see if you can, you know, get a jump on, on the next season. So there's always time. Well, one thing I don't, I don't think in all the times that we've been doing this show with you, I don't ever think we've talked about the differential between the balls. I mean, the advertising yeah. is one thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you're a Titleist guy. But, sure. uh, you know, what? what's the difference between a softball uh, 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 yeah. for right. the average player, for the good player, for the great player? Give us a little rundown on the, the ball sure. uh, situation. Yeah, I mean, listen, many, many years ago, uh, golf balls were uh, delineated based on their compression um, you know, whether they were a, a senior or ladies ball that were um, in probably the 70 or 80 compression, 
they had 90 compression, if you remember the old red-numbered uh, golf balls, and the 100 compressions were the black-numbered golf balls, um, you know, which basically was just an indication to um, measure that with your swing speed so that you could actually, you know, when it hit the face, it would compress enough that you would uh, achieve you know, the, the benefits of the golf ball from a distance or spin standpoint. So we've gotten away from compression. Um, Titleist has actually even remarked um, from the training that I've had that they, most of their golf balls are somewhere between probably 92 and 96. They don't really even measure the compression anymore. It doesn't, it's not really one of the uh, contributing factors in their opinion to, to what a golf ball's performance should be. So now you're looking at different things like how many pieces is the golf ball? I mean, you're, you know, old school balls had, you know, remember the old, um, the DT wound and, and the, uh, Bellotta golf balls and some of those, um, golf balls that had a super thin cover, they had a mantle piece and then they had a core. So they were a three piece golf ball. Well, heck nowadays you've got four piece, five piece golf balls. Um, you have Serlin cover, which is going to be probably a little harder feeling, uh, but more durable. You've got um, your Pro V1s, which have an elastomer cover, which is going to be a lot softer. Um, they make golf balls nowadays so that they're shear resistant in a sense, where the old school wedges you would hit if you nipped it perfectly, you know, your golf ball would have a cut on it or you would be missing some of the paint marks. So golf balls are certainly more durable, but it depends on, you know, what you're trying to achieve in terms of feel. That, that's, what, um, that's what I want to know. When somebody comes into your pro shop, yeah, and here you have you know eight different companies that make golf balls, and yeah. uh, each one has a special. Oh, this ball's going to go further. This ball's going to. What do you sure. recommend to the person that comes in there to say, fifty years old, forty-five years yeah. old, fifty-five years old, and his swing speed's not going to be the same as somebody twenty-five. Well, this is this is certainly true. I mean, there's a lot of factors that are. Um, involved in that decision. Certainly, I don't necessarily think their age is, is of the utmost factor. Um, I think you're more looking at uh, what, what kind of a game or handicap do they carry. Uh, typically, your better golfers um, like a softer covered golf ball because of the feel that it presents them when they strike it. Um, you know, if you're looking for something that's a price point, you know, you've got anywhere from $20 a dozen all the way up to $60 a dozen. Um, you have your premium golf balls, which every company makes. Um, again, your Pro V1, Pro V1X from Titleist. You've got your Callaway Chrome Soft. You've got your TaylorMade TP5, TP5X. Um, you know, each manufacturer is going to have its top shelf, if you will. It's that's like the guys on tour are going to play that golf ball. Um, you know, for for most people that play, I think if you reside somewhere in the, the middle or the medium range, so for Titleist, um, you're going to talk about your, your torso or your velocity somewhere in there. Um, and, and Callaway's uh, vernacular, you're probably looking at um, the super soft or, or one of those type of golf balls. Um, so every company is going to have that medium tier golf ball, which is going to be a little bit more durable, but you're going to give up probably a little bit of feel, um, and, and you're, going to, you're going to wind up paying a little less for it. So. Um, in large part, um, we, we had a, a situation where we brought Titleist out to our golf course, and we had um, a fitting, a golf ball fitting day where they would come out and they would hit a couple wedges, they would hit a couple seven irons, and they would hit a couple drivers, um, and then their 
their swing speed, uh, their distances, and things were measured, and then they were outfit for um, a golf ball that would be more befitting of their game based on uh, what they would do with, you know, some of the balls that were in play. Roger? Tommy? Okay, a couple questions, Doug. What do you you think about the – the pin place most these PGA championships. They put it in the in the, in the darndest corner, and these guys yeah. make it like that's so easy swing. Ten feet away from the hole. While the while the amateurs like us, we struggle to get up there by by twenty feet by by sticking the third shot. You know that's it. Yeah. It's, you know, their swings are so so nice and easy right now. And I'm watching that. And, but the guys right now, I mean, it's a it's it's gonna be a great Masters. Probably, I think it's gonna be. You know, it's typical, you know, like fall weather up under Gustavus. Can we see the leaves and mm-hmm. probably between yeah. the colors by then they're down? It's going to be interesting what to do about the sure. leaf patrol. <laughs> it's, going be, it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, uh, pin placements are always interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, from a tour standpoint, those those guys um, can access some of the pins based on their shot shape that, uh, that, that many people cannot. Um, in most cases, I know that the rotation of pins is typically a function of uh, foot traffic on the green. Um, I know that we try to implement a front, middle, back um, pin placement mm-hmm. rotation on most of our holes. Uh, but typically when we have different events, uh, from time to time I'll meet with my superintendent and we'll try to pick different pin placements to, you know, avoid high traffic areas um, so that, you know, you're not going to be influenced, if you will, by by footprints or swipe marks or, or those sorts of things that uh, would contribute to, to bad rolling putts. Um, you know, in most cases, if you have your public golf courses that have busy weekend days, they're going to probably make most of their pins accessible, middle of the green, safe spots, so that they're not going to increase pace of play. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's not an exact science, but it's it's one that has some, you know, bias to it. I just want to find that out. Thank you for the thank you for the information yeah. up there. And another thing, what you know, these the Masters coming up right now. You know, they're, they're not going to be competing with any sports. I don't think you know because except right. the NFL with with the Masters probably change your times probably for because because shortness of daylight and the temperature wise. Would they change your starting times at all or keep them back in the Another. same time? The, the Masters, as we know it, um, in November to accommodate the uh, the darkness. Um, instead of everybody going off the first tee like they would normally do, they're going to have to run split tees and send people off both one and ten uh, to use both sides so they can they can uh, battle with darkness so they can get it all in. I just want to because a lot of golfers off there are not. Isn't that yeah. ironic? The Masters can end the golfing season. Usually, starts the golfing season up right now, so it's a it's yeah. a tough year for everything going around, but at least, uh, at least you get the Masters, and that's the main thing. And a good, good way to wrap up the year for watching the Masters. Well, the thing is, yeah, Doug, that uh, they, they usually work on the other side of the clock. You know, uh, when, you, yeah. when, they, when they have the normal Masters, is uh, sure. the weekend they go to daylight saving time, so they have <laughs> additional time. Now, sure. when you get to, uh, you get to November, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about really uh, they're going to have to start early and finish early. Yeah. Well, they'll, they'll get a few more minutes uh, being in Georgia, but but still they're they're going to go front and back, first and 10 tee to accommodate. And obviously 
uh, once they've uh, gotten to their cut line um, after Friday, uh, they'll right. they'll be fine. They'll be fine from there. So. Yeah. What happened to get the fire out? You have to get to midnight. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Little fire yeah. out there. I remember. For sure. I remember you were Jewish, but also you know, just that club real, real good. And I, I still remember this time at at, at White Marsh. Vitorino's playing practice round. He says, "I hear the ground thinking. I hear the ground thunder. It must be Tommy Thunderbolt." <laughs> we crack up and bounce. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the that's the thing about missing the golf today because the older players would joke with the fans. They would have a good time for the the galleries and that. And I know these guys are all money, money, money. But old time right. watching a term, it's like the old time golfers up there, like CBS Golf Classic, the Shell Classic, and that shows wonderful world of golf. And that was fun mm-hmm. to watch. It. With the, yeah. with the with the with the fans and the players, right? Now. I think golf right now. Don't get me wrong; it's it's a great sport, spectator wise. But mm-hmm. you know how good those guys off the course for commenting fans. That's the right. question I got to raise to you today. It's a business like anything else, Tommy. Okay. How about your agronomist? Uh, you know, you first of all the uh, the golf course. Uh, Really has to have a lot of work done on it. Uh, sort of usually starting the last week of August or first part of September. Uh, yeah. What's the rotation down at your club? Hey Doug, can we hold um, up about that? Doug, yeah, Doug, can we hold up. Tick tick tock. Sure. We're up against the clock right now. So, Don, okay, we'll go to that next to week. Yes, Don, always place coming. I love to play golf, Don. Since you're down in Florida, be great. So, always a great mm-hmm. job, Doug. Like to thank Roger Taylor, Roy Coons, and the writer from Philadelphia. And also Bill Matthews, all great shit. Frank, from my family to your family, I'm getting strong right now. So have a great week. And God bless the job you do in and out of the well, we hope, in and We out. hope so, Tommy. And uh, Doug, thank you very, very much as always. And uh, of course. Yeah. good luck to your Raven. Are you going to go to the game Sunday or no? <laughs> I'm going to go to the game in my uh, in my living room. So, yes. <laughs> okay, we'll talk. We'll talk Thank about you. it next week. Pittsburgh and the Ravens. We'll see what happens. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Frank, take thank care. you for everything. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Frank, for everything done. Now, Frank, take it away, please. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in a uniform, please. These are very dangerous times for people in uniform. Please uh, let them know that you know they're there. These, these programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Patrolman Randy Bell, Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafa Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogle, Longville Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA, Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Godwin. I'm sorry, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Robert Jermaine, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Kelsey Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. <clears throat> Patrolman, uh, Patrol Deputy uh, Charlie Kotloff, 
Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Delaware State Troopers, Sergeant Rodney Bond, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Special Special uh, Inspector Vinny Galaccio, Delaware, Del Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Delaware State Corp Corporal uh, Trooper Corporal Stephen Bauer, Kissimmee Pack. Uh, Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Patrol Deputy Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Department, Patrol Deputy uh, Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the hallow of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week.